But let's read, as we've promised, during this time of war, uh, over the nation of Israel, we pray this prayer, we read this passage. And so I'll read verse 1, if you'll read nice and loud verse 2. Uh, we'll look at Psalm 122 together, and this is our prayer for the Jewish people. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions. I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. And so, Father, we do pray now, as we have made a commitment to pray for Israel, all of those, Lord, throughout the region, Father, that the gospel of God would permeate, Lord, we don't care right now if it's uh, being listened to and understood by those in the IDF, to those that are in Gaza, Lord, to those that are in Syria or Jordan or Lebanon or Egypt or anywhere else, Father, we pray, as your Bible commands us, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How amazing it is that that's a 3,000-year-old verse chapter we're reading, and it's, it's ahead of tomorrow's news. And you have told your people, we your people, to pray for your people, Israel. And so, God, we pray that you'd bring peace, but, Father, of course, above all things, that you would bring salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, again, church, remain standing. We're going to be uh, reading through the scripture together, and uh, that would mean that you'd grab your Bibles and or look to the screens, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. I'll read verse 1. If you'll pick it up in verse 2, nice and loud. You guys ready? Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed or engaged wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him, amazing, in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. Beautiful. Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. I lost my place. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, listen to this, kept or retained all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Father God in heaven, we pray for the moving of your spirit, not only in this room and in each heart, Father, those that might be viewing, and Father, for that matter, that you would even cause this Christmas season to be a wake-up call to our nation and beyond. Lord, for decades, maybe for centuries, the United States has been the trendsetter at, at, at the start for many good things. Of late, not so good. But Lord, you can revive the covenant that you made with our pilgrim fathers. And Lord, with or without revival in America, we thank you, God, that our citizenship is in heaven. That we've got a passport, and that passport is a person, and his name is Jesus. And we celebrate the fact that we pause as a world to take notice of his coming into the world. This is an awesome moment. And Father, may it not be wasted on anyone. Father, no matter what, the going forth of your gospel... May it be something that causes people to make a decision. Yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. Anything but be indifferent to Jesus. We ask it now, Father, in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, everybody. We're looking at a third and final study that we've been going through. And this series has been titled His Return. And I told you three weeks ago that we were approaching our Christmas series this year different than normal. Uh, We've had a flavor of the traditional verses and passages you saw, you read one of those a moment ago. Uh, But I decided to dial down and look at uh, perhaps a more uh, maybe apologetic in the sense of argumentation approach to Christmas. I've been looking at this in a a way of you being very astute Bible students. what are the foundations of Christmas? It's not just that day that comes by once a year, but it is actually a reality. It is a, uh, a fact in history. It's not a story. I know everybody's talking about it. As I've been saying for three weeks, the Christmas story is not a story. It's an actual event that is recorded in Scripture. I love this. It's recorded in secular history, and it's recorded in the annals of Roman history. It is, in fact, an actual event. And we've looked at some key verses 
You guys remember what our key Christmas verse is? I got to tell you, um, maybe you knew this. I didn't know this. I didn't read this in any book. I, you know when, you, when you're studying the Bible and you get a nugget? You know what that means when you get a nugget from God? It's like you're reading the Bible, you're studying the Bible, and then this verse pops off the page and like smacks you around a little bit and, and just jumps inside your heart. Well, while I was studying for uh, this Christmas series, this verse became really the key theme verse, and it blew my mind. I have to confess, um, I've never seen it as a Christmas verse before. I've never even seen it displayed as a Christmas verse before. But you guys know where I'm going. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The very first Christmas verse in all of the Bible. And we've been quoting it every week. God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you, that's the devil, and the woman, that would be Eve and her descendants, between your seed, which is freaky, Satan has got those that are on his team, and her seed, which shocks everyone, including the Hebrew scholars, from the beginning, that a woman has an egg, not a seed, the word is sperm, from her there would be The origin of life, which is normally a male or the male contribution. We're talking about Genesis 3.15, the introduction to a divine conception that scholars have known for thousands of years. And you can easily link this to one individual. There's no escaping it. There's no hiding from what Moses was given by God to say. He, that is Christ the Messiah, the seed, shall bruise or crush your head, speaking about Satan's head getting crushed, and you, that is Satan, you, shall bruise or crush his heel. An incredible Christmas verse that we want to make note of. And we've looked at, and I won't read it, we've read it again earlier, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You can look at that later, just write down the reference. Another Christmas verse. That God in the beginning brought forth his son. And John says in 1 John that the son of God, that seed that came from ultimately Eve, would be the redeemer. John says we've handled him. We touched him. We heard his voice. We walked with him. Which had to be the most amazing experience ever in human life. To walk with Christ. And today, this is our... Foundation verse for our study today, our final study, and it's this. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That is, without debate, great is the mysterion. The word mysterion means great is the treasure that has been hidden and now has been made revealed. It's not a mystery that you can't figure out. It's a mystery that has always been the Hebrew word, Greek word means that it's been, it's been in storage and it was brought out at the right time. And what is that? God-likeness. That we saw God, Paul is telling Timothy, we saw him walking in human skin. You see, that's a, that's a stretch, Pastor Jack. Not at all. Let's keep reading the verse. Number one, God was manifested in the flesh. Isn't that amazing? The word manifested is he took form. Wow. Number two, God was justified by the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit justified the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, everything I do, I do to the praise of my Father, and I do it by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Number three, God was seen by angels. Seen by angels. Now I'm inserting God was, God was, and it does no harm to the study of the word. Seen by angels. Who was? The word made flesh. And uh, you guys remember that word seen. You ought to circle that word several times in your Bible because it means that angels at the birthing of Jesus coming into the world that the angels' mouths dropped open wide and their eyes were made wide open. It, it means to gawk or to stare. Whatever went on with the birthing of Jesus, angels saw for the first time their creator coming into the world veiled in human flesh and they freaked out. And I would submit to you, as I said a few weeks ago, it would be hard to impress an angel. But these angels were impressed at the advent of God coming into the world in human skin. But it goes on, there's more. That God was preached among the Gentiles. That's just a matter of a fact, by the way, as all these are facts. But isn't it spectacular that all around the world people are preaching Christ? And that's not uh, all of it either. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, the final preaching will be done by angels flying around the globe, proclaiming the everlasting gospel, and then the end of the world comes. And even before that, the Bible says there's going to be 144,000 Jews who during the tribulation period will preach the everlasting gospel. Well, right now, listen, we're living before that time comes, but what's the point? The preaching of the gospel. It's amazing. And that's what we're here today to celebrate is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is this truth that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, gifted his only begotten son, that whosoever, I love saying whosoever, that whosoever, well, I don't know about that person over there, whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The qualifications is what Christ has provided. Our responsibility is to say yes to him and to come to him in repentance of sin, knowing that I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. We've all had bad thoughts. We've all had pride, arrogance, uh, immorality, whatever it is, and that guilt came upon you. And then when you find the gospel, you can, oh my goodness, you, when you hear the gospel, I remember hearing the gospel on June 20th, 1977, I didn't know the gospel, I'd never heard it before, but when I heard that Jesus died for my sins, nobody in that room had to tell me, oh, psst, Jack, by the way, you, you are a sinner, you might want to think about that, nobody had to tell me, I knew it, and when I heard that there was a way out of it, I took it. And that's the Christmas Christ. That's what he came into this world for. And we are a very grateful people. And then one more thing before we dive into all of this. In Titus chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. The Bible says for us here today. That we are to be looking for the blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave, gifted himself for us. Well that sounds like Genesis 3.15. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That is, excited to live a life that is pleasing to God. So very quickly, church, we're going to run through what, we, what we're standing on. And that will launch us into where we're going today. His return means this. We saw 
And number one, that the promises of his return are throughout the entire Bible. The promises of his return. Church, with, uh, with all due respect, I'm going to be a little sarcastic today. I'm just feeling it in my bones. I got to tell you right now, I challenge anyone of any belief system. I don't care who you are. I don't care what cult you belong to. The fact of them, I don't care if it's atheism, which is the worst religion of all, is that you believe in nothing. That's a strange thing. To test your heart, to announce to you that in this book, from cover to cover, there's a promise that is given about his return. And there's multiple returns, if I might put it that way. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God promised to return in Genesis 3.15 that the Messiah would come through her descendants, Eve's descendants. Remarkable. That's a promise of his coming. And then when Christ came, we know that he was born in Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us exactly when he would be born and where he would be born in his return. In a sense, Christ would return to the created world that he had established, but a fallen world, man had made it. And he came to redeem it. And then the Bible tells us that he's going to return for his church at any time. It's actually more than a return, it's an appearance. The Bible says, we'll read it later, that Christ will appear in the atmosphere to draw all of his Believers to himself before that great and terrible day of the Lord, it says. The great and terrible day of the Lord is referred to as the tribulation period when there's that final return of Christ in the second coming when he establishes his throne. Listen, his throne in Israel, the Bible says. That statement would have been premature until May 14, 1948. That ought to get you to sit up. The Bible says he's going to not only come to Israel, but the Bible says he's going to establish his throne in Jerusalem. There's a Jerusalem today on the map, my friends. This is an important truth. And then we saw that there's a purpose of his return, always. And we summed it up this way. Every time the Bible speaks about the return of Christ from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, it's about redemption. Remarkable. Thirdly, we saw that there's the proclamation of his return. We've got a message to preach. No other religion has got this message that you and I have. Think of it. We're the only ones because we've studied the Bible. And in this gathering, by the way, I'm happy to report. You say, what do you mean? Who are, who are we? Who are you people? If you're visiting, you're saying, who are you? We're just a bunch of people that have been saved by the grace of God. And look around you. Look around you. There's white. There's black. There's Polynesian. There's Asian. There's wealthy. There's middle class. There's poor. There's tall. There's short. It doesn't matter. Do you understand? It doesn't matter. Well, what membership are we? I don't know. If you figure it out, tell us. Tell us. Because you know what? All we are is Bible believers. We're Bible followers of Christ. Okay, and uh, there's no membership that we can give you. Here you go, because God knew when he told us, as soon as we got a membership card, uh, we'd probably put it on our lapel or strut around showing it. Hey, what, what is that? That's my ticket to heaven. What is it? That's my first Baptocostal membership card. There's no membership except one, and that is believing in Christ, who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And you put your faith in him, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the one that places you as a member into the body of Christ. I love that. I love it. The proclamation of the gospel. 
We also learn that there's an environment to his return. This was kind of encouraging, believe it or not, in a darkened world in which we live in. Whenever Christ returns, in all of the events and all of the accounts from Genesis 3.15 onward, he always comes in the darkest, most sinful, most hopeless moments of mankind's existence. I love that. Have you looked around in the world? Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right? Man, I, I hope you have a biblical worldview. I hope you're a follower of Christ. Jesus said that's being born again. I hope you know that. Because if you have that new life within you, the darkest days simply tell you that they can only be dark because there's light. You ever think of that? Isn't it interesting that the scientists will tell us that the night is the darkest just moments before the sun begins to rise? And the Bible tells us that Christ is coming with healing in his wings. And I love that. We also learned about the essence of his return. He is holy. He is righteous. He is almighty God. He's God incarnate. Jesus Christ, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that make up one God manifested in three persons. We don't believe in three gods. Just like maybe in your home, you live at 123 Maple Lane, and there's Mama Bear, Papa Bear, and Baby Bear. All three of them are different, but they have the same last name. How about that? Think of that for a moment. They all live in one address. Different personalities, but one family unit, as it were. God the Father. And God the Son came into this world to take on human flesh to reveal to us the very nature of God and his essence. And then we saw the effect of his return. The Bible tells us that those who truly believe that Christ is coming back have given their lives to Christ. I hope you have. And by the way, it's an actual tangible thing that you do. And uh, if that happens, it's going to affect your life. And all around the world, listen, somebody, I was just listening yesterday, somebody was asking a question of a famous Christian thinker. They said, why is it in Europe there's such a, a massive exodus from the church in Europe? Many people, many churches have died in Europe. And, and very few people trust in Christ in Europe these days. And uh, the guy gave the right answer. The guy gave the answer. He said, he said, listen, he said, we need to understand, Jesus' church is not dying in Europe. There are people choosing to walk away from Christ. They're the ones that are dying in Europe. What that means is God has his believers everywhere. But what is indicative of them being a believer is the fact that being a new creation affects their life. They are affected. So I don't see that very often. I agree with you. But it doesn't mean that there's a void in the land of people's lives being affected. You just need to find out where God is moving and uh, make sure that your life is yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And again, we'll talk on this. Number seven, here's where we dive in, everybody. His return Regarding the awareness of his return. There's an awareness. Write it down if you would. Scripture will not be denied. I love this. The Bible, the scriptures will not be denied regarding the awareness of his return. We have paused today to gather together for Christmas service. But the fact of the matter is it's only true because scripture has never been denied. 
the Bible says Christ would come. And so here you are. Isn't that interesting? Why did you come today? Well, we've always gone to Christmas service. Yeah, but what? I'm really strip away all this stuff. You have come today because of the fulfillment of the scriptures. The Bible tells us in advance that Christ would come, and he did come. And the ancient Hebrew scriptures are the doctrines of the Bible, foretold the very time when God himself would accomplish salvation for mankind. In fact, Jesus made mention of this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew 5, 17, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking, do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I love that. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, one comma and one hyphen in the original language will by no means pass away. Listen, will, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus Christ came to fulfill what you and I could never do. He did it for us. Simple as that. And he would say to you right now, because I did it for you, you need to come and you need to hide inside of me. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11. Isaiah 55 11 says, so shall my word, think about who the word is, be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I've sent it. The power of the word of God. It's an amazing thing to realize, people, that when we are being awakened to the truth, and if we listen, and if we get an understanding of the truth, and we can even say, wait a minute, are you telling me that God foreordained the coming of his son Jesus, born of a virgin, on Christmas morning, to die on the cross for my sins and be resurrected from the dead and that he's coming back and that all those who put their trust in him would not perish but have eternal life? Are you telling me that I can take my sin and give my sin to him in repentance and he will give me his righteousness in return? That's exactly what I'm saying. The moment you hear that, listen everybody, the moment you hear that, you've been placed on notice by heaven. You're now, listen, you've been served as it were, a subpoena from heaven. God has made the announcement, and you've even repeated it back. Is that what you're telling me, Pastor? Yes. If you understand that, and if you hear that, it is now a burden upon you. Let's be honest. It's a burden upon you to either say yes to Christ or no to Christ. Isn't it remarkable? You can't be in the neutral. Scripture will not be denied. Every word will be fulfilled. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, Hebrews 1, 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, by the way, that's Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, you are my son, today I have begotten you or glorified you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Think about this. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 goes on and says, But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Verse 7, And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, 
God says, this is Psalm 45, verse 6. Your, listen to this. God says in Psalm 45, verse 6, God is speaking. Are you guys listening? Yes. God is speaking, and this is what God says. Your throne, O God. Say what? Is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. God said that about his son. Oh, if you're Jewish today, you go study that one. Yeah, dive into it. So I'm not allowed to read that portion of scripture. Listen, draw the curtains, go to the bathroom, hide, go into your closet, get a flashlight, turn to Psalms 45 and read it. God says to God, you are my son. Today I have begotten or glorified you. It's exactly in line with Genesis 3.15. The second thing is this. His return and the awareness of his return, church, is the history. Is the fact that history cannot lie. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. Are you sure about that? Oh, no, no. Let me say this again. History cannot lie. History is history. There are people who lie about history. This is a big difference. Those are called, um, well, they're called by a lot of names. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't think of that one. She said, a liar. <laughs> yes, a uh, revisionist. Uh, revisionist, that's a big deal. You have to pay a lot of money to get exposed to a professional revisionist these days. You got to go to Princeton or Yale or Harvard to be educated by a revisionist. We say, what is that? Uh, they take history and they spin it around for their own particular worldview and, they, and then they uh, lock you in a chair, take all of your money and they make you eat it. And that's what you come out of school with a, with a, a, a very dangerous piece of paper and, and you're spewing falsehoods. And then when you actually bump into a history book and read it for yourself, you're shocked about what really happened. We live in a Wikipedia kind of a world right now. Everybody's a doctor. Did you know that? We're all doctors. I don't need, we don't, we're all MDs. We're all travel agents. Mechanics. Where'd you get that degree? Wikipedia, man. Five bucks. It's awesome. Yeah, well, listen. History cannot lie. History is the record of what really happened in history. Now, you, you and I know well that history is a mixed bag of goods. It's bloody. There's war. There's mayhem. There's glories. There's victories. There's achievements. There's beauty. But it's this fallen world, isn't it? Where does all the pain and sorrow and suffering come from? A fallen world. But where does all the goodness come from? A good God. Don't worry, though. He's going to fix it someday. He's not going to rewrite history. He's going to take history, and he's going to answer it. He's going to answer it. Where's the justice? Where's the hope? Where's the freedom? He's going to answer all those things. The Bible tells us in Romans 15, verse 4, for whatever things were written before, that's biblical history, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, my friends, might have hope. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible. I know it's Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve and tomorrow's Christmas Day, but I got to tell you, uh, you know, as the 25th arrives, the number on the calendar as the 25th arrives, that's the day. You know, that's the day that was set aside to recognize his birthday. The 
That's all that that is. If you attend this church, you and I know each other. Every day for us is Christmas Day. We celebrate the same every day. If you're new here, this is your first Sunday here. This Sunday is no different than any other Sunday. It's just that I'm wearing a tie. (laughs) Under protest, mind you. I'm doing this because if it helps you listen to me, I'll wear it. I just don't want to. But this is a normal Sunday. We're going through the Bible like normal. And uh, it's all about the scriptures. We studied the scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, But there were also false prophets among the people. Listen to this chilling warning. Even as there will be false teachers among you. How, what are they going to do? How am I going to know? Well, it's going to be tough on your own because they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That word secretly is where we get the word stealth. And destructive heresies means that they will inject, think about this, they will inject wrong information. Ooh, think of that for a moment. They will inject, false teachers will inject into you wrong information in the last days. Everybody was concerned about the vax. Uh, Now we learned uh, for good reason. That's nothing. It's nothing. Listen, a goofball goofball vaccine now that's failing everybody is nothing compared to a demonic vaccine that he comes along and uses very, very, uh, I don't know, persuasive, influential people to just get you a little needle prick, just a little stick, and in goes the false doctrine. And you start to have this reaction to it, and your reaction to it is biblical uh, response. It's like, I'm allergic to the Bible now. Can't get next to truth. I've got my own truth. I've got my own way to heaven. History cannot lie, nor can the word of God. The Bible says that God cannot lie. People always get a big kick, you know, when they ask you, "Uh, is there something God can't do? You just said God can do anything. Is there something God can't do? There's a lot of things that God cannot do. He can't be stupid, for one thing. He can't sin. Think of that. There's a lot of things that he can't do because it's dumb to do those things. He's righteous. He's holy. But even in history, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, listen to this. Tell me if we are not living in these days. I want to remind you who are new to the Bible today, this is a 2,000-year-old verse. 2 Peter 3, verse 3, knowing this, that, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and this is what they're going to say. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willfully ignorant. Yeah, yeah, I've been hearing about God coming back. Where where is it? When's it going to happen? I don't think he's coming back. The Bible says watch out for that person. They're a scoffer. Serious statement, right? Well, Jude is nobody to back down from confrontation. Jude chapter 1 verse 8. Jude says... 
how they, remember how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts, warnings. The word of God, my friend, will never be denied. And the fact of the matter is this, is that history, when you look at it, cannot lie. And I say it this way, that all around the world this morning, people are dealing with Jesus Christ. If they are in a communist nation, socialist nation, or in a free country somewhere. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter their age. What they've got a deal. They're hearing about it. It's about Jesus. It's remarkable to me. Number seven, the third consideration in the seventh argument is this, is that there's the awareness of his return, and it's this. Truth will come to pass. You can't stop truth. I know, I know that Mark Twain said, and he's right. Mark Twain said, a lie goes around the world two times before the truth ever gets its shoes on. And that is true. But here's the thing. A lie goes, and here's the best thing about a lie. Just give it time. Y'all know that? <clears throat> well, I don't know if they're lying or not. Just wait. I've got to know. Just be patient. It will come out. You think you're sneaking around, pulling, some, pulling a fast one off? No. Nope. Nobody knows. Excuse me? No, we've done everything to keep it all covered up. Yeah, I got news for you. God can start, he can write it in the sky, what you're doing in secret. He can actually, while you're doing it in secret and you think nobody knows, he could actually have an angel hanging over the house with a neon light with a <laughs> finger pointing at the location. He, the Bible says, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Just give it time. That's why you need to come to Jesus today. There's a shortcut to this. So I don't want to do that. Then come to Christ. Wow. Truth will come to pass. Listen to this. Acts chapter 1. You guys okay? Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Therefore when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Um, This is 2,000 years ago, just before Jesus ascended back to heaven And I want you guys to all know, and you're going to get upset with me, but I'm going to tell you the truth if you like it or not. And and, um, listen, I just, I I owe you the truth. And plus I'm reading, I'm reading uh, my my boss's uh, book here to you. (laughs) Jesus is just about ready to return to heaven in the ascension. And the disciples ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to where? To who? Everybody take a deep look at this, especially if you're 35 years of age or under. Take a hard look at this, everybody. You can get the most ancient manuscripts and every single one of them. And you know what word you're going to find there? Israel. This kind of talk right now can get this message right here, right now, removed from YouTube by mentioning one word, Israel, now. I tell you what, man, I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but I wish you could have hung out. I wish you could be hanging out with me over the course of these last two weeks. Ever since we had a Stand for Israel event here, 
My social media and my, my private life has been attacked upside, one side down the other regarding standing for Israel. And some stuff cannot be explained. <laughs> Telling you, you guys, the Bible says Israel. The Bible is not asking if you like it or not. The Bible says Israel. Period. History says Israel. Period. God's not going to change his word to make you feel better. In fact, he doesn't change his word so we can ultimately feel better. Because you want to run to truth. And he said to them, Jesus responded and said, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Watch the epicenter. Jerusalem. And in all Judea. That's further out. Samaria is further still. And to the ends of the earth. Chino Hills. It's true. Think of that. Jesus said that. And I just want to ask you this. He said that 2,000 years ago. Did that happen? Cannot be denied. It happened, and it's happening. God's truth will come to pass. But that verse went on. That verse went on. Look at verse, if we have it on the screen. You guys have the next, there you go, verse 9. Look at this. Now when they had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. By the way, it wasn't a cloudy day. The word cloud is a supernatural manifestation, probably angelic glory. It wasn't like he went behind a cloud and they lost him like a balloon. <laughs> because kind of, it kind of makes you think that, right? Look what happens here. And a cloud received them out of their sight. And verse 10 says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Do you love that? The same Jesus is coming back. Truth will come to pass. He's coming again. The angels announced it. Jesus said it. He's coming back. This is not some sweet thing we're doing. Oh, Christmas service. Listen, he's coming again. He is literally returning. Wouldn't it be the ultimate hypocrisy to celebrate Christmas all your life and then not believe that he is coming again? What are you celebrating? Oh, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Well, you ought to celebrate the fact that he's coming again. Say, what? Wait, wait, what? He, what? Yeah, he's coming again. You ought to celebrate that. If that makes you a little bit nervous, that's pretty serious. He doesn't want you to be nervous. He wants you to be ready. Number eight, the awakening to his return. If the Bible said that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem and then live his life, die, be resurrected from the dead, leave, and then come again, then listen, you and I need to be awakened to his return. And it's this way. His return, friends, is without a warning. 
Mark that down. Very, very carefully, you need to mark it down. Make no mistake about it. His coming again, and the proof of it, is that he came the first time. Maybe you have Jewish friends, as I do. I have many Jewish friends, and they, they'll tell you, we're waiting for the Messiah to come. And I tell them, I remind them, you know, I'm not waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. You're waiting for the Messiah to come for the first time. I'm not. I'm waiting for the Messiah to come the second time. This is his second coming. But regarding the fact that Christ is going to come for his church is an awesome promise that a lot of people want to debate today. I've been really blessed and honored that there's a publishing firm that is going to re-release a tremendous book by Dr. Charles Ryrie, who is a hero of mine. He's in heaven now. But um, they've asked if I would write the foreword to that book, and I got so excited, I can't even start on it yet. I try, and like, I don't know where to begin, because everything I write stinks, and it's like, oh, no, oh. And then I get it, because, listen, the guy just systematically took the word of God and let the Bible argue for why Christ could come back for the church at any time. It's called the imminency of Christ. It's very simple in Scripture, but people have made it complicated. I've just found this to be true. Those who love Jesus, they may differ on theology and certain things, but no matter what, those who love Jesus, they can't wait to meet Jesus. And if today's the day, then so be it. Think about that. So it's without warning. John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow. Well, where is he? Can you guys take your index finger and point to where he is right now? Go ahead. Okay, some of you little theologians, I got that. I saw that. Yes, it's true. We already know he's in your heart. Just for the record, we'll edit it for TV and make it look really awesome. So when Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, where did he go? Oh, yeah. And he said, I'm coming back to take you to myself. Why would you do that, Jesus? Because where I've been, I'm going to take you there. Yeah, that sounds good to me. (laughs) Yeah. Could you hear that? That faint, let's go. What will it be like when it happens? We do not have to guess. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. You know, I figured I'd throw the kitchen sink and everything else that comes with it into this message today. If you're visiting us for the first time, you're going to get four years of theology in 55 minutes, just like a college class. I got 10 minutes left. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 Paul, the apostle, speaking to those in Thessalonica, which, by the way, if you're ever on a cruise, go visit Thessalonica. It's one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world. It's awesome. But I do not want you to be ignorant. The word is, I do not want you to be uninformed. Don't be dull about what I'm going to talk to you about. And isn't it amazing today that most churches, you walk into a church, and you ask to speak to the ministry staff and say, Tell me, uh, what can you tell me about the difference between the first coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, and the second coming of Christ? And you know what? Sad to say, many pastors will go, what? That's just, that's your first hint to turn around and walk out of that church. The Bible says, don't be dumb about this. 
Concerning those who have fallen asleep or died in Jesus, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or their bodies are in the grave. Their bodies are in the grave. Think of this. We go to Forest Lawn. We bury your uncle who was a believer. His body is in the ground, but he is with Jesus in the instant. To be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. So we're just burying his body like a turtle shell. It's a shell. And now we're lowering Uncle John into the ground until the day of resurrection. And, you know, and yes, we're, and listen, can you imagine, keep that picture in your head right now and watch what happens. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and Uncle John's body will rise first. You just put him in there. Like, it's like a Pop-Tart. You put him in, the trumpet blows, and oh man, what? What's going on? And then seconds behind Uncle John popping up, the believer is going to follow him. Look what it says. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, meet you in the air. That's where I'm going to meet you. Watch this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be, and there is the Latin word caught up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Wow. Please make sure that you're going to join us on that one. Listen, if we die of old age, then that's going to be pretty soon anyway, even if you're young. Think about it. You know, see how fast time's going? Listen, if, so what if Jesus doesn't come back? Well, listen, we're supposed to be ready to meet him any moment now, but it doesn't matter because even if we all live a long, long life, it ain't that long. The Bible says man's life compared to eternity is but a vapor. Of, of smoke, a vapor of steam. What's going to happen to us? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So we have a problem. There's got to be some sort of a change. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound... The dead will be raised incorruptible. Notice what Paul says. The dead will be raised incorruptible. He says, and we shall be changed. Isn't that an amazing statement? Hey, the dead's going to pop out of the ground like Pastor Jack's Pop-Tart analogy. But we who are alive and remain at that moment, we'll meet them in the air. And it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Why? Because this body, listen, this body has to be resurrected resurrected or raptured to enter the kingdom of heaven. You, listen, you go in the ocean and you can swim around for a little bit, but you, you're not going to go underwater and swim to Catalina. You're going to need a whole different environment. And for that, you're going to need a tanks and wetsuit and everything, right? Why? Because you're not fit for the water. But God is going to make you fit for eternity. He's going to give you a new body that can frankly, enjoy and experience the presence of God. 
Right now, we can't. If God showed up in this room right now, we'd all be dead like a nuclear blast. The Bible says that nobody can be in his presence and live. Why? Because I'm stuck in this carcass. This body is limited. It's not going to work. So that means it's to be expected. His return is to be expected, church. Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And the whole thing is, I'm coming quickly. The third and final thing under point eight is this. His return is our deliverance. Jesus' first coming to Bethlehem brought salvation. His next coming will bring deliverance for the believer. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And that is an awesome, awesome summation of the person and mission of Christ. He's the Savior. That means he's the deliverer. He rescues us. He's the Messiah, meaning that he's the anointed one. Nobody else. Unique. He's the only one. And he's the Lord, which means, is Jesus your master? If, he, if he's not your master, then he's not your Messiah. If he's not your master, he's not your Savior. And then number nine, his return is this, and that is the applause. There's the applause for his return. I'll go through this quickly. We applaud him for his goodness. This is deliberate, friends. I I deliberately put this in there because of the time in which we're in. Listen, we're at the end of a year. A lot of news. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of things saying, you know, really unstable times ahead. Unstable to you and I, because we've never been here before. But they're not unstable to God. He knows what's up. He knows what's down. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. And all he asks of us is to ask of him. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, and this will be the sign, the miracle, the distinguishing mark, you can say. Number one, you will find a babe. Isn't this amazing? Okay, here's the miracle. What is it? Well, first of all, you're going to find a babe, a little baby. Okay, is there more to this? Yes, number two, wrapped in swaddling cloths, the clothing that prepares a little lamb for sacrifice. Lying in a manger is the third thing. These are clues. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The clues were laid out to find the babe. And these certain things would be accompanying the discovery of the babe. In Psalm 145, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. You know, God is good to you. You can be here today and say, I hate God. He's still good to you. He's still good to you. Imagine people who are, did you see these new, uh, there's now a, a wave going across America right now where school board members are being sworn into office 
Now, yeah, did you see that on, uh, on books of pornography? They're being sworn into their uh, school board seat, not the Bible, but pornography. You can look it up. You can see it if you want to see that. And, um, man, I, I got to tell you, man, if I was God right there, I'd just go... <laughs> but those people can thank God that I'm not God. He's God. And he's patient. Don't think he's weak. Don't think he's... Because he hasn't done anything yet that he's weak. He's not weak. It's hard to be patient for a human anyway. It's one of God's attributes, so it's not hard for him. But I would suggest to you that you should stop and consider what good things you have in your life to you so you can applaud him for his goodness. You can also applaud him for his grace. Look at you here right now. I'm here right now. It's God's grace that you're sitting here by God's grace. Isn't it amazing? You take a bite of something and you eat it. By God's grace. You're going to make it through the end of this day by God's grace. Even if you don't even believe in him, he still gets you through. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. In the midst of all of the ugly, can't you see the good? I know you can. You just choose to focus on the ugly. Don't do that. In fact, it's the ugly that proves there's the existence of God. Because ugly, listen, ugly, mean, and death cannot create itself. The, the, all, ugly, mean, and death has to, has to pervert that which is beautiful, gorgeous, and alive. Death can't bring anything in. Only life can. But listen, death happens when life is disconnected from God. And then finally, it's this. We applaud him for his gift. <laughs> you going to open gifts today, are you? Tonight? Tomorrow? You're going to open up something. What'd you get me? <laughs> Gifts are kind of weird. It's a weird thing. Gifts are interesting things. You know, we do this based on God giving us his son. You ever think about where that came from? And if, again, if you read Wikipedia, it's got a whole different definition as to why we give each other gifts. God gave us his son and we applaud him. And I don't mean like a golfer's clap. You know, oh. I'm talking about an exuberant praise. Yeah, okay. Yep. And when I leave you with this, we have a hard time. I think we do. Or maybe it's just me with gifts. And I wrote some things. This is not you. I'm describing me. Uh, My pride gets in the way when somebody gives me a gift. Because I feel in my head, I think in my head, now I got to pay them back. Now I owe them something. Now I'm indebted to them. And then I calm down and it entertains something foreign to me and it might be that they just happen to love me. That doesn't come normal to me. 
Am I confessing this for anybody else here right now? It's like, wait a minute, okay, my flesh gets in the way. You know, come on, guys, I'm just talking to the men here right now because the next thing is legalism. My pride, my legalism, third thing is reputation. My legalism gets in the way, and it stands up, and it says, I got to get them something bigger now. I, I know I can, I can make it down to the store in time to get something bigger and brighter for them. I got to get, get something bigger, better. That's legalism. That's sick, man. And the final thing is reputation. Well, next time we go out, I pay. I'm so carnal. I'm so arrogant about this stuff. Pray for me. It's a plague. Because when we go somewhere, it, I, I get ahead. I, sometimes, even by phone, we're going to be coming to this restaurant. We're coming with this group. This is my name. This is my credit card number. I, I'll slip it to the to the server first. Here, psh, take it. I'll tell, I'll lie. I will lie. I'll say, hey, you guys, I know we're standing around. We're waiting for a seat. I ain't got to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I go, I go, hey, who's the manager around here? Here you go. See that? Whatever table, that's, uh, we get the bill. You know what that is? That's pride. Reputation. So what am I saying? I guess if you, if you invite me out to dinner, you're going to be paying is what, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm just joking. Church, it's this. Jesus Christ paid it all. And for that, we are offended because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That's why the baby came. That's why he was born. That's why the Bible is written about him. There's nothing you can do to earn his gift. Or else it's not a gift. It's a gift. Well... Let me get you something brighter. Yeah, good luck on that. I even use stars and angels and all that stuff. Uh, you see, whatever you come up with, you're empty. That's by design, friend. Well, my morality's better than most people. Well, good for you. And we're, we appreciate that. We like good citizens. But we're talking about heaven here. The difference between heaven and hell is about 18 inches. Because your, your head is dealing with it. But is it in your heart? Listen. God is not satisfied with living in your head. When he moves in, I'm just warning you right now. I'm going to ask you to accept Christ in a moment. I'm just going to spill the beans now. No, no trick or rooney here. I'm going to ask you to accept Christ because the Bible says when given the opportunity, you should accept Christ. And if you reject him, then you're fully responsible for your eternal destination, not him. No tricks. I'm not going to gimmick you. I'm not going to plead with you. If the Spirit of God has been speaking to you, you respond to him. But maybe today you're thinking, you know what? Some of this stuff's got me thinking. And what you need to do, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If any man will open up and let me in. It's a beautiful word. 
He said, I will sup with you, S-U-P. It means to take your hand and to dip the bread or the meat in the same sauce or whatever it is and eat it and you do the same thing and by that we become one. And Jesus says, take of me and eat. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you, Lord God, 364 days ago, we were wondering if we were going to have another chance to have a Christmas service, and here we are, which means we are now 365 days closer to meeting you. But Lord, are we ready? And I pray today that you'd speak to men and women and boys and girls And friend, right where you're at right now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but right where you're at, there's too big of a crowd everywhere on campus. I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. That would be the normal thing we'd do. God is God. He's sovereign. He can see and he listens and he hears. But as your heads are bowed, Christians be praying, please, right now. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you might be saying today, I, I'm going to accept Christ at this Christmas right now. I am gonna, I'm going to do what you said earlier. I'm going to exchange my sin and guilt for his righteousness and freedom, his new life. I want, I want him to live through me from this moment on. I'm deciding that now. If that's you, raise your hand. I'll, I'm the only one looking around. Raise your hand, and I'll see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And you, and you, there's a lot of yous. That's awesome. That's beautiful. You can put your hands down. Father, for these who have raised their hands, that's a divine work. Their arm went up, but it was only obeying the command of their brain and the muscle and the sinew and the machine of the human body. But that was even under the influence of the soul. The soul was saying, let's do this. And that's only true because the spirit of these men and women and boys and girls are waking up right now to the truth of God's word. So those of you who raised your hands, will you let God hear this from your lips? Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to you. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for being resurrected from the dead. I receive your forgiveness. I give my life to you now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. 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 Let's all stand, everybody. Now, you guys, um, for those of you who raised your hands... You can kind of linger after service if you'd like, but we have Bibles for you, and we have a welcome packet for you in that room to your left, up front to your left, if you could make your way there after service. But wherever you're from, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, make sure that this year ahead, for you, is the year of the Bible. (laughs) Because I tell you what, things in the Bible will be coming this year to come. And you're going to want to be able to recognize the things that God has given us. The Lord bless you and keep you. May God's countenance and favor envelop your life. May God's grace and his healing be upon you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. 
In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.